Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the January 28th, 2020 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, Dr. Hoda Anton Culver, UCI's Director of Genetic Epidemiology Research Institute, will talk about the National Institutes of Health, All of Us research program, of which UCI is a part. The study will include one million participants around the country. All the information we're going to give you so you can sign up yourselves, folks, in our segment. In the second segment will be Andy Thorburn, the only candidate challenging incumbent Ken Williams in Area 3 of the Orange County Board of Education. Local coverage of the California primary will continue on Ask a Leader through March 3rd. We'll be right back after a station break. Welcome back to the show. My first guest is Dr. Hoda Anton Culver, UCI's Director of Genetic Epidemiology Research Institute, to bring for our consideration the National Institutes of Health, All of Us, research program of which UCI is part, an observational study to include one million participants around the nation. Dr. Anton Culver's research focuses on cancer epidemiology with special emphasis on etiology, molecular genetic characterization, evaluation of genetic phenotype correlation, and genotype environment interaction using large populations of cancer patients, their relatives, and unaffected controls. Dr. Anton Culver's research uses population genetics to predict the proportion of cancers that can be attributed to genetic variation and exposure to environmental risk factors in the population. She's honed particularly on breast, colorectal, ovarian, and prostate cancers. Dr. Anton Culver is the founding director of one of the only 22 organized research units at UCI. She's credited with nearly 300 publications. Her grants include Safeway Foundation, Athena Breast Health Network, Beckman Research Institute, City of Hope, California Teacher Study, UNC Melanoma, City of Hope, National Institute, National Cancer Institute. I go on, but that's that's mainly what the funding's. She's a member of the American Association of Cancer Research, American Society of Preventative Oncology, American Society of Human Genetics, and Society of Epidemiology Research. She completed her Bachelor's of Arts in Pharmaceutical Chemistry at the University of Alexandria, Egypt, and her PhD at the University of St. Andrews, Scotland. Dr. Anton Culver joins me in studio. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Dr. Anton Culver. Thank you for having me. Thank you, and I'm going to give a little shout-out to your very effective study recruiter, Aaron Saltmarsh. Thanks again, Aaron, for making this introduction. So let's start with what is all of us? That's in quotes, folks. Quotation, all of us, end of quote, research. Tell us what it is. The All of Us Research Program is an NIH research program that is the a current uh, main focus of the NIH in order to look at all diseases in a large cohort of American people uh, with all the diversity that the United States has in order to apply 
genetics, environment, and other health information so we can reach a way to have precision medicine, which includes precision etiology, what causes disease, precision prevention, which is a way to prevent disease specifically at the individual level, precision diagnosis, so how can we diagnose disease precisely for the individual who is giving us the information, and also precision treatment. Everybody now is treated in a one-size-fits-all with the precision medicine program that we're doing, and we are one of 10 centers in the United States here, is going to tell us a lot more about how we can treat people in a precise way where they will be mostly understanding what is it for them specifically that would make them feel better and recover. We'll talk about the range of participants that you're actively recruiting, but while we're talking now about precision medicine, the the sort of huge question always is, you may have means for addressing somebody's the the pathology, but is this going is the equity question always is, will everybody be able to afford precision medicine at some point? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, if we do have a, uh, a precision medicine at the national level, our health care cost and the cost of medications is going to go down because you're not going to waste time and money to a lot of trials until you find the best treatment or the, the best diagnostic procedure. If we are successful, and I'm, I'm really very optimistic. You are. That More this than ever. program, absolutely, especially that the program does not have a particular population. Most of the time, research is done on middle-aged white males. Right. And this study is focusing a lot of its resources on the diversity, the diversity of the people that we're going to be entering into the study. So that is our number one priority for this study. We focus on participants rather than a, a subjects into the study. So the participants are partners. They offer information to us, and the community with its diversity can offer different things that we learn from. And uh, I'm just going to quickly say, we had Dr. O from Boston University on the show. It was, I believe, early December. And she she was talking about, it's like the move in these clinical and, well, observational studies is to do a lot of data sharing. The, the participants get more data now. And there's a sort of open sourcing of that. And well, it's I'm a new I'm day that way. I'm glad you asked that question because uh, the our participants uh, actually have access to all their data all the time. They have, once they enter into the study and they participate, they have a portal where they can enter any question they want, whether they want their results or they don't want to have the results. They are actually monitoring what they are, what, what is it for them. They can also enter their questions, scientific questions. They can. And they can examine the data at any time. So partners who are participants, scientists who are all over the world, and anybody, even a community scientist, can 
access the data, which is going to be very huge. And the follow-up for this study is a minimum of 10 years. So it is really enormous. And any question will be valid as long as the, the person can actually uh, access the data in a way that we have security, confidentiality of the participant. And we make sure that we do have that, but at the same time, we would have access to the data so we can all learn from that enormous resource. Yes, and I noticed there, there was a comment in some of the protocols about the Fitbits that there could be offering that, but I mean, every place I, I always... Get, I sort of shudder about how this guarantee of privacy is maintained. There's so many sort of possibilities for leakage. So I, it's, I'm sure it's a very big Absolutely. deal. Absolutely. Let's go back to, though, this recruiting part here is, and, and just prior to our going on air, we were talking a little bit about the role activists have and being drivers of the structuring of a study. And we heard about this at the law school last week where the whole AIDS epidemic it was, was the, done the, by it, the yes. Center for Disease Control was way behind the knowledge curve, and the activists were seeing something happening with the whole a female component of society. So you were saying the there's a bit here. of that happening. The same here, and very strong. In fact, uh, we, where was it coming from? What kind of sector? It's, uh, actually, all sectors. Oh, really? The LGBT community, the uh, black community, the Hispanic community. Uh, the, Asian the, American Pacific Asian Islanders. Asian American Pacific Islanders, which is really important for us here in Orange County because we have a Vietnamese population that is larger than any other population in the United States outside of Vietnam. And so we are focusing very much on all ages, all conditions, whether you are well or have a disease, all race ethnicities, and, and at the same time, we are focusing on minorities to have a large enough numbers in minorities in order to make sense out of the data so we would have large enough numbers. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Dr. Hoda Anton Culver, UCI professor and chair of epidemiology, talking about the National Institutes of Health, All of Us research program, of which UCI is one of 10 centers around the country. Well, let's talk then about there's a 90-day period that their recruitees are first involved, and then it can, and out 10 years later, you're going to check back in. How? What's the sort of the timeline for well, recruiting? recruited people. <clears throat> okay. That, so everybody out there, please listen to this because we need you. We need your participation in this program. We want to have Orange County to be a star in the program, in the national program. And we have the diversity in, the, in Orange County that we can do it. So anybody who is interested in participating, they can participate. We have seven clinics in Orange County, and on our website uh, the, and the landing page here at UCI, you can identify where is the nearest place for you to participate. You can, everything is online, so everything is digital. And you can also call us at uh, 824-0281-949 area code. We'll put all of that in the summary. So everybody okay. can go back to askaleader.com so and they'll find it. Once you log in and uh, start participating, you will be signing c consent forms online 
and you will be completing information. And then you will get a, a communication from us to get an appointment so we can do physical measurements, height and weight and blood pressure and other things. The baseline. And baseline. And also collect a blood sample and the urine sample. The samples will go to the biobank, which uh, we will have then all genetic information and a sequencing of your DNA. And the information will be in the data center. And once that... That's in D.C.? The data center is an NIH funded at Vanderbilt. Oh, Vanderbilt. Okay. And once we get that base information, you will be receiving a lot of follow-up. You'll be receiving newsletters of what the program is doing, how is it doing. You will be receiving new information and also continuously receiving uh, short questionnaires that you will be filling out online uh, so we would get more information on environmental exposures that you may have, on your occupation, on a lot of the information about you. And we will do that follow-up every 90 days. So you will be filling out information and you will be also giving us information. So if you have anything to tell us, we will be grateful if you do so. And we will be following up for 10 years. Once you give your blood sample and urine sample and the measurements, there is a very small, but uh, we are happy to do it, $25 gift card that all our participants get after they complete the study. Please contact us and uh, we are waiting for everybody to participate in the All of Us study and be a part of uh, the million. So you will be one in a million for the study. And and, but crit- and everyone's critical in one in a million, never, never to dismiss that. So you're looking for 18-year-olds and up, and you're looking yes. at any kind of pathology. I mean, the, any, there's nothing can rule out a participant. Nothing rules what out a participant. What would be the only thing that would rule on? It, nothing. Not, nobody. Only age at this point. And the, the program is now requesting from Congress to fund another portion of the program that will include children uh, from zero to 18 years old. Oh, that'll be, I know how that, from the National Child Children's Study, I know how involved that was. So obviously everybody's wondering, we we gotta beg the question here, with the outbreak of the coronavirus, is that changing anything you're doing? No. No, no, not at all. The The thing is, the coronavirus is an important issue, and it's an acute issue. What we're dealing with in the All of Us program is going to be there forever for, for the people. And uh, not only that we will be uh, a benefiting the people in the U.S., but the whole world. So it's a program that will benefit health in the whole world and and that the US has always been a leader in the world to do the discoveries and this is another program that is all one of a kind uh, internationally so one of the aspects of this that makes this a sort of a, a little more i want to say compelling it shows an adjustment to 
lessons learned in observational studies and uh, and clinical trials is that there's the preventative aspect, which is it gets gets back to the equity. If you're able to get ahead of that kind of environmental genetic sort of interactive aspect that an early not just not detection but an early you know better dietary measures better uh, higher level activity so the talk about how much the preventative piece is coming into how you're taking your how you're recruiting your enrollees and if there's any kind of a, a loop of education in those ways you're getting in touch with them Absolutely. So our newsletters go on into the prevention aspect of this. But we need to remember that not everybody is susceptible to all agents and not everybody gets the same disease. And in this particular uh, program, and that's why it is precision medicine and precision prevention, is we are trying to prevent disease at the individual level. So we study the individual and we know more about that individual in terms of genetic and environment, and we would identify what they are susceptible to, and then we can do prevention at that individual. So not one diet fits all, and not one preventive pill prevents disease in everybody, but in this program, we're going to be focusing on the individual, on the participant. So, Dr. Anton Colbert, could you tell us, so how does the the uh, prospective enrollee, in the, how are they, I mean, you're educating them about the intentions. How does that process work? And are you involved in that as the principal investigator? Uh, absolutely. And w- we do send uh, the newsletters, and that comes from national, from okay. the National Institutes Top of down. Health. But I want to make sure that we all understand that the our environment here in Orange County, our population diversity in Orange County dictates how we are going to be, how we are now communicating with our participants. Uh, we, we communicate with our participants at the individual level again. So if you, with the diversity that we have, we look for groups of people who have things in common. So we map things, for example, in order to understand how can we be more effective for a particular group of people who are have things in common and they have more information about that particular group. I'll give you an example. Please do. Yes. Uh, We are very interested in, in the Vietnamese population. And of course, the diet may be different. The exposures may be different. The access to health care may be different. Approach approach and, and to taking, um, treating things. Absolutely. So we are looking at each of the groups, and we have community board, people from the community who represent the different parts of the community. So we have a, a network of communication systems that we would reach out to the groups in the population based on their characteristics and we want their input so it's a two-way street so i guess the more you're activating the locals then that that brings in more recruiting so that people are assured how that goes well you know this now it just occurs to me while we're talking about you know you're probably doing the sort of bio and geophysical kind of mapping of you know what's what's going so let's i mean if you 
if you had Cudahy in Los Angeles, if that was in your study area, and we, you know, where the jet had to, they let the, they discharged the fuel at less than 2,000 feet over those schools. So that, that would have been some kind of a data point a study would have to pick up, correct? Well, it is for us. And, and I'll tell you why. Do. And uh, even though the, the uh, precision medicine program, the all of us, is here at UCI, the leadership is at UCI and UC San Diego, we have also other sites in California, and that's why we are called the California Precision Medicine Research Program. And our other partners are in at USC, at Cedar Sinai, at UC San Francisco, and UC Davis. So are those partners so, are they different sites or are no, they're they all are this a is part all. Of so you're going to pick up the Cudahy. Absolutely. Well, oh my goodness. Absolutely. So what are they saying at USC about that? Is well, there any data coming out? We, or? we have not really talked about that yet, but those wow. things will happen and and in the future when we accumulate enough participants. I think all of those questions would be available to be answered, not only by us. Right. We want the data to be available to everybody. So students, graduate students, scientists, uh, economists, uh, social workers. Not to mention tort attorneys. They may. They may. That too. <laughs> oh, wow. So you're talking about the where the the region that you're pulling from. So who is there any geographically disqualified person in for the study you're recruiting for in here California? in no. California? Everybody no. in California could be a part of Absolutely. this. Absolutely, any anybody in the U.S. Okay. could be a part. Anybody and anybody and and you can if you're listening, you can actually sign up and participate at the using the NIH website. All of us at NIH.org. And that information, even though you will be signing up at the national level, it will come down to the geographic location you are from. And so this program is easy to log on and participate in. And it is an interactive program and you will be engaged in it all your life. So. Dr. Anton Colbert, so how does this work? You're talking about a special targeting of the Vietnamese community, uh, but how, are, how do you make the concerted effort to reach underrepresented communities and minorities? We actually go to them. Uh, in, fact, in what ways? I, I, I go to Westminster and I talk to the clinic there. And uh, Dr. Huan Lee is the director of the Vietnamese clinic. I also have one of the Vietnamese leaders in the community, uh, Dr. Bicklin Nguyen, is on my community board. And we were just on the Vietnamese television. But uh, other uh, communities, I'm just, right. how are you reaching like the Latino communities? The Latino and community. And you're talking about representing all kinds of gender identifications. We are fully active and participants are every day at the Santa Ana Clinic and the Anaheim Clinic. And most of the, the majority of the participants, the majority of the patients there are Hispanic. And we do reach out to the Hispanic community. And it, it's really amazing and wonderful. The community of Orange County with all its diversity is very powerful and very supportive of the program. Does it help that 
UCI's had such a large presence in recruiting all the time with different kinds of studies that people are, oh, I'm, we're waiting for you to call us about the next wave of research. Absolutely. I mean, is that, that sort of a ready public? We are the only university in Orange County. We are proud to be the only university in Orange County with all our population supporting this university. I have done population studies all my tenure here at UCI, 40 years of tenure, that uh, population sciences and the populations that I have studied in uh, whether it's related to cancer or related to other diseases, the community is so supportive and very much pro-research. We are lucky also at the university because the community is supportive of research and they want to know more. As we draw down on our time, I, my last question would be, Dr. Antone Culver, what in, you, you, you sit on a top a heap of, of amazing career in research. What do you, it's a, like it's a two-part type last question is, what do you expect will come of this? And what do you hope will come from this? Uh, this study? Yes. Uh, I think we're, we're looking at really individualized medicine. Bottom line, less healthcare cost, less medication cost, and more healthy individuals, more information about health in general, what makes you healthy. And, and I think that really not only improves the nation's health, but also makes us very sensitive to what causes disease so we can prevent it. You know, the, I, I don't want to go into the hypotheticals, but the, the more information from this program, this program is going to provide enormous amount of information, whether it is social, medical, environmental, it's just going to be massive enough that everyone will benefit. Well, Dr. Hoda Anton Culver, it's been a real pleasure having you. I've been looking Thank forward you. to this for a long time. Thank Thanks you for, for having me. Thank you. My guest was Dr. Anton Culver mm-hmm. about the National Institutes of Health All of Us Research Program, of which UCI is a part. We'll be right back after a station break with Andy Thorburn, challenging incumbent Ken Williams in the Area 3 Orange County Board of Education. Don't go away. Sassy, sassy, I- Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My next guest is Andy Thorburn, former classroom teacher, workers' rights advocate, and businessman. Andy Thorburn began his professional life as a high school teacher in Newark, New Jersey. He served on the local chapter of the American Federation of Teachers and later on the boards of the local United Family Agency and the local YMCA. He later founded and led the Global Benefits Group Foundation, a nonprofit which dealt with microfinancing, then founded the business Global Benefits Group, headquartered in Foothill Ranch here in Orange County, specializing in selling insurance to working families, particularly classroom teachers. 
Andy Thorburn's involvement in community service organizations includes his current role on the board of the Community Action Fund at the local Planned Parenthood chapter and the executive board of the Huntington Disease Task Force. He was previously affiliated with Rotary International. He completed his Bachelor's Arts from Wilkes University and did graduate work at Jersey City College. He joins me in studio. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Andy Thorburn. Well, thank you for having me. And he is here to talk about his candidacy for the Area 3 of the Orange County Board of Education. We heard... We, we taped after the live show last week, folks, so it's on the orange the askaleader.com website, the, uh, Ken Williams, the incumbent's interview, and so now Andy Thornburn is the only other person, the only person that is challenging the incumbent. So let's start with why you want to serve on this board. Well, that's a good question. I think there's probably two or three steps to the process. The first step for me was that I ran for Congress in the last election cycle and lost. But in losing, I did feel a much deeper commitment that there was a need to be active and be involved. So rather than lose and go home, I decided to remain active. And it was during that period of being active to support other causes and other candidates that someone asked me if I would look at the Orange County Board of Education. Would I consider running for that office? And they suggested I look up the record of my opponent, uh, Ken Williams, who you mentioned before. When I looked it up, I realized that the Board of Education at Orange County had fallen into the hands of a group of people whose values are not consistent with what I consider the real values of America. And so I, I agreed to run because I really want to contribute to society, and I think I can contribute by having this Board of Education be more responsive to the genuine needs of the community. Well, and we can break down some of the policy aspects that you, maybe you're looking at, uh, which I did ask Dr. Williams in the interview we taped last week. It's talk about your position on charter schools, because that's, that's been a driver of where the budget is and the whole dynamics locally in Orange County, as well as I'll ask about approaches to sex education, which were, okay. a, which were are, are kind of a, a large, they loom large in how the current board's composition is functioning. It, they, both of those issues are, are important, correct. So what's your position then on charter schools in the Orange County, sure. well, the or California for yeah, that matter? Sure. Well, it is a California-wide issue for sure. But the California law you know, has a provision that you can appeal to the, RN, to the county board of education, right? So the real issue is local control versus overriding local control. So the way the law operates, an applicant for a charter school applies to the locally, effect, uh, locally elected Board of Education in the affected community, let's say Newport Mesa. And that locally elected board makes a study, and the presumption is it would be approved. You have to have very good reasons not to approve it. But if that Board of Education decides it doesn't add anything to the curriculum offerings in that school system, and they turn down the application, the applicant can appeal to the county Board of Education. Now, my position is that when that appeal takes place, your job is not to override local elected officials just because you disagree with them. Your job is to make sure that the process was done with a high level of integrity. You should not override accountable local officials unless you have a very good reason. What's happened at the Orange County Board of Education is that we have a majority of three of the five members who follow a personal agenda. And when they have an applicant, even if their own staff 
recommends that this is a deficient application, meaning the curriculum is deficient, the finances are deficient, and it shouldn't be approved, they will approve it just because they support charter schools ideologically without looking at the educational benefit. So the big issue for me is charter schools are fine when a local board approves it or if a local board does not conduct the proper process and the county sees some reason to intervene. But you should not be committed to charter schools that are deficient. And there were there, there were some 10 or 12 that were recently 12, reviewed. There and have been 12 applicants that have been overturned where local boards have, have had very serious research and said we turn it down. The Board of Education at the county level usually has a similar report that is deficient and 12 times they have voted to override the local Board of Education and approve that charter school. And so there could I'd like for you to speak to the fiscal, literally, the fiscal impact of that sort of um, reach of authority on the board in terms of what additional expenses are incurred in this kind of litigation process. Well, let's, start with the, let's start with the charter school first. When a charter school is approved under the law, if that charter school enrolls 100 or 200 students, whatever the number of students is, the local school district has to allocate to the charter school 100% of the money that it spends per student. So a district that spends $8,500 per student and has 100 students enroll in a charter school loses all of that money. Yep. It's a big chunk of money. But unfortunately, it doesn't save the school district any money because the 100 students or the 200 students are three from this classroom, five from another classroom. It's not a case where you say, okay, there's a charter school, replaces a school, and I save an equivalent amount of money. So the local school district has essentially the same expenses, plus a slightly higher expense, actually, because uh, they do some monitoring of the charter schools, and the charter school oh, gets okay. all the money. That's an expense I hadn't even thought about. They have to get okay. a little bit of it. They have a, a responsibility there. But it's even worse than that because the charter schools typically do not offer extracurricular activities. They don't have sports teams. They don't have all of the curriculum coordinator type positions. So it's a slimmed down school. It's a one-off school usually. Maybe there's two in the chain. Their expenses should be less, but they get the full allocation of money. And over time, these charter schools will make an effort to have all of the kids that, that aren't keeping up in some way drop out of the charter school. Uh, if even, it might be disciplinary reasons, so they'll kind of skirt the law a little bit. They're supposed to accept everybody, but they'll find a way to have the slower kids or the disruptive kids removed from the charter school. So the local school district ends up with those kids coming back into the local school district. So you lose money and you have the same or higher expenses. Which is where the cherry picking term is, is sure. used yes. to um, take issue with what the, the kind of accountability and the full offering of the charter school with the public funds. Yeah. Correct. And my, my, my general approach is that when you have taxpayer money involved, that they, the, whoever's spending that taxpayer money should be accountable to locally elected people who control that tax money. So let's move into then what's happening with the litigation going on. Um, I, I'd like for you, let's say you are successful in your campaign, you have some budget issues. How would you deal with the, because the, there's the fact of the general counsel being retained in the private sector. It's not the general counsel on staff. Mm -hmm. So there's some really large budget 
gaps opening up now with Orange County Board of Education. How would you deal with that? Well, there's a big budget fight, all right? There's, it's really a hostile environment. And I think it's a more serious problem than, than your question implied. So if I could back up a little bit. Absolutely. Well, go ahead. So what really happened here is basically it's a power play. And I've been in the audience for most of the board meetings since about February or March. Once I decided to run, I said, let me just sit in on the, as an audience member and see how the board functions. So the way the, again, the way the law is set up, the Orange County Board of Education, their number one responsibility under the law is to approve the educational budget for the county, which is in the neighborhood of $250 million. And the way it's done is the Board of Education works with the county Department of Education to reach a budget agreement. That budget is then presented to the public by law on the May meeting. And then in the June meeting, you vote that budget up or down because the public's already had a chance to see it. That's all 2019. Moving toward so We're talking about December. 2019. Yep. Right. Okay. Is, so, so this is what happened in 2019. So in the May meeting, they presented the budget to the public. And then the June meeting came up and you voted up or down. And at that meeting, Ken Williams says, I move to cut $170,000 from this $250 million budget. All of that money was a kind of way of getting back at the superintendent, who they have suing for other reasons. Line items for Line that office. Line items for that office. And they were told in open court, in open, in open uh, meeting, I should say, by the attorney, that is not a legal thing to do. At the June meeting, it's not legal to amend the budget. The attorney is in the superintendent of The attorney Orange? works for the entire Board of Education, okay. both. He's, he's the on-staff. On-staff attorney. Okay. Says that's not the proper procedure. It will be turned down in Sacramento, and we won't have a budget. The superintendent said the same thing. The superintendent in Orange County happens to be elected as well. He said, look, this is not the procedure. He said, I won't sign the budget if you amend it in June because it's illegal. Well, the board voted three to two, led by Ken Williams, to do it anyway. It was, in fact, turned down. They then had to have an emergency meeting in which they reaffirmed the cut of that money. And then they elected one of their own as a temporary superintendent to sign it because the superintendent wasn't present at the meeting. That oh went goodness. to Sacramento. Wow. That was turned down. And then the Board of Education in Sacramento, the uh, Office of Education, sent a very scathing Mr. letter. Mr. Thurman. Tony Thurman, uh, from his office, sent a letter, a scathing letter, very unusual language for interbureaucracy language from one government entity to another, saying that this was not the proper behavior. It was unprecedented. They'd have to take over control of the entire budget if they didn't straighten it out. So the next step was in this administrative procedure in Sacramento, where these kind of disputes are referred to an administrative board, they reviewed the process and the requests of the Orange County Board of Education. And they issued another letter that said the Orange County Board of Education is wrong. They don't have the power to do that. It's illegal. So the budget has never been approved. It is a mess. And it goes back to, it's easy to fix. The real problem is the Orange County Board of Education, led by Ken Williams, has an agenda of trying to take power away so they can pursue their ideological agenda. And the superintendent uh, is opposed to that because he's trying to follow the law. And so what you really have to do is have a board of education that sits down and develops the proper working relationship with the Department of Education. For those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Ask a Leader on Radio KUCI. My guest is Andy Thorburn, the only candidate challenging incumbent Ken Williams in 
Area 3 of Orange County Board of Education. And we went over uh, last week all of the the municipalities and communities, and it essentially takes the northern ranges in Anaheim, Anaheim Hills, and it comes straight south down to Irvine, and is the Area 3 is where the station, KUCI, is housed here. And so the way you're describing this, it sounds like there's an institution that's increasingly now on the sites of a broader community, and the accountability is now getting more attention than it has in how many years, do you think? Well, you know, Ken Williams has been on the board a long time, but it's only the past few years that he had a majority of three to two. So with the change of majority is where new agendas were starting to crystallize. That's, so, that's correct. So, so yeah. for people to map that, because I'm making a point of down-ticket races for listeners to put on their radars because it, it, it's actually, it's also been a lesson for me in the last couple of months, I must say. So we were talking about charter schools and a discussion I had with Ken Williams last week was about the sex education practices and his support of abstinence only. What is your position Andy Thorburn. <laughs> well, I support, without any question, the state of California's uh, you know, guidelines that they published. And the thing that's lost in this back and forth, when people have an ideological agenda and they're against their, their anti-scientific bias, their anti-data bias, you get a lot of misinformation. So all that happened was the state of California, in furtherance of a previous law mandating comprehensive health education. It doesn't mandate just sex education. It's a comprehensive health education bill. And by the way, for the conservatives who think this is a bad thing, a big part of this uh, guideline, this template, is to help teach young women how to say no when they don't want to have sex. It would help reduce the incidence of teenage pregnancies and unwanted sex. There's an awful lot of things in there that everybody should support. But the two key points that are lost is, first of all, the state uh, published our guidelines. They publish guidelines. It's not mandatory. Every school board can implement the Healthy Child Act in a way that they think is appropriate as long as it's in compliance with the law. The second point that's lost is the sex education portion. No matter how it's done in a school district, you can opt out of it. A parent can have their child opt out of it. So if you think that there's some portion of this health education program that isn't suitable, you can opt out of it. And so the job of the County Board of Education is very clear both legally and I think ethically help local school districts fulfill the law, fulfill the mandate, and let them know the real information. Don't let this misinformation go around. You hear groups say that it's going to teach sex education in the third grade, and it's going to teach all kinds of obscene subject matters. And that's all propaganda. It's all false. This program mandates one week of uh, health education in junior high and one week in high school. And as I said, on top of that, it's mandatory. So parents who do find it objectionable uh, can opt out. So I fully support the program, and I think this Orange County Board of Education should be a leader in helping uh, to implement this plan. Okay. Well, I'll be bringing that as a template for comparable questions with all of the candidates, and I'll be in interviewing for areas one and four that, um, two that are the other two are not up for election right now. Well, it's so we get a little know a little bit more about you. Tell us about, you know, who's endorsing you in your candidacy. Well, fortunately, I do have a very wide 
coalition that I've been able to put together. Most of the teacher organizations in the county support me, a group called Teachers for Local Control, which includes all, all the, every local school district in Orange County is a member of Teachers for Local Control. Uh, a lot of the individual school districts in Tustin and Orange and others, they've endorsed me separately. A lot of other labor unions have endorsed me. A lot of local elected officials have endorsed me, uh, state assembly members and, and state senators like Tom Umberg and Sharon Quirksova, some of the candidates like Josh Newman, organizations, the Firefighters Association endorsed me, some of the other labor unions endorsed me. So it's a very broad coalition. Planned Parenthood has, has obviously supports me. So it's a very broad coalition of people, uh, younger people. I'm supported by the LGBT community because I believe in inclusiveness, unlike the current board majority which has tried to marginalize certain populations. So I think in general, it's a very broad uh, coalition of people that support me. And those of us that are watching this a little more closely now, we're aware that there's a lot of money coming in uh, to uh, maintain campaigns here. So where is your funding going to be coming from? Has well, the, it come, come from? No, the majority of my money is self-funded. We do raise money from contributors, and we've raised a reasonable amount of money, but um, I, most of my money is, is self-funded. Self-funded. Okay. Yep. So I want to find out one of the aspects of the board majority is funding, back to, it's funding, but on, at the institutional uh, level here is a lot of money has been returned not not uh, applied for from Sacramento there is a new the assembly bill 48 which I guess it's considered it'll be prop 13 on the general election ballot and it's confusing the heck out of everybody when they see prop 13 because there will be a prop 13 adjustment referendum that is dealing with commercial property so that's that's going to be something we can all be better at understanding. But let's go to the AB48. What is your position on that's the brick and mortar and right. maintenance of school sites? What's your position on AB48? Well, I definitely support it. It's a bond fund. I think the total is $6 billion or so. It's all it's all dedicated to local school districts. It's all 100% of the money is there to help local school districts bring their facilities up to date and do a lot of infrastructure work in the educational system. I support it. And as you probably know, uh, they introduced a resolution at the Orange County Board of Education to have the Orange County Board of Education indicate their support for it, and Ken Williams voted no, voted against it. And so this is a bond issue that's specifically aimed at local school districts, and two county, um, two, two of the uh, cities in Orange County have already applied for and been approved Which to cities? receive some of those money. Uh, one of them was Orange, okay. and I can't remember the other one. Okay. I'd, have to, I'd have to look okay. it up for you. But two are already, two, two are already in, included in, in the, as recipients of that bond issue. And uh, as uh, I was informed that the Orange County Assembly and Senate delegation, all of them, it was a bipartisan support for that. The only member of the Orange County state legislative delegation is uh, Senator Morlock, who represents this portion of the county. So that it, it's, it's an interesting mix of the a response from the the current Board of Education Orange County, given the kind of bipartisan legislative support. It is support. totally bi uh, nonpartisan. As a matter of fact, in the Assembly, there's only one person voted against it. It was almost unanimous. Yeah. Um, but it does go back, and you, you, you implied this. I want to bring this out again. It does bring out the key point here. The majority on the Board of Education today is not basing their decisions on science or fact or data. It's a 
private personal agenda that they push whenever they can. Have you ever seen anything like this in your education experience? Because I'm 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 just wondering if does this stand out or is this a uh, this is something that's sort of occurring increasingly. Well, but let's I've say never, in California. I've never I'm not familiar with anything like this. I mean, I sit in the audience sometimes and I'm I'm just stunned sometimes at some of the things that are said. I the very I think the second or third meeting I went to back in the spring of nineteen, I was still kind of getting my feet wet. There was a charter school application, and it seemed very deficient, and the audience was filled of parents who were opposed to it, and the superintendent spoke against it. And after the Board of Education approved it, Ken Williams took out a piece of paper and said, let me just tell you a few things about charter schools. And he read a prepared statement that had obviously been written by the Alliance for Charter Schools. And it's really just essentially propaganda about charter schools, and it's totally inappropriate to be entered into the record on the Board of Education. And so I was kind of surprised by that, but then it turned out that's kind of standard procedure. They, they do some things that are stunning. I've been at meetings where they will not listen to their own counsel because they don't like the advice, and they'll turn to an outside counsel. They've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars hiring outside counsel, even though they have an attorney that's full-time that's supposed to serve the interests of the Board of Education and the Department of Education. So it's, it's very, the hostility level is so high because of this personal agenda divorced from sound educational ideas. The last question, not so much about your candidacy, but I guess the, the byproduct of, of this kind of a process in a public agency is, are you aware, is it palpable to you when you're observing the meetings, what's this doing to morale with the, the staff? Well, I have talked to the staff. I probably shouldn't, you know, um, mention anything no, that's no, confidential. But, no. but I would say, you know, I think there's a lot of big morale problem. There's a total split. In fact, one of the points we didn't mention to bring this out, though, we you talked about the Healthy Child Act. At the same time that Ken Williams and his two associates were undermining the Healthy Child Act with a public forum for t- paid for by taxpayer money to undermine it, at that same time, the professional staff of the Department of Education was hired by the State Department of Education in Sacramento to be the lead agency implementing the Healthy Child Act for all of Southern California. They receive money to do that. They're paid to do it. So here you have the professional staff being paid to do something that the Board of Education is undermining. That's how bad morale is. And that's it's a cost of its own. Intangible, it and I guess you could say it's a fiscal one. Well, I, I want to thank you. And folks can follow you how? And, well, the best way is there's a website. It's Thorburn 4 School Board. It's the four is a number four, Thorburn4SchoolBoard.com. Uh, obviously, ballots go out pretty soon. So the most important thing they can do is look for the name Thorburn on the ballot. You made a very critical point, if you don't mind if I repeat it. it it's, oh, it's your point. I'm just, your, I'm uh, just no, here you, to interview you. Oh, you your... made a point earlier about down ballot elections. Oh, I want, that part. I wanted, yeah, I wanted that is my that. point. Yes. Yeah, and I, I wanted to reemphasize that because these elections, there is a tendency of people to vote for the top of the ballot, president and whatever. And there's an awful lot of offices, not just Board of Education, that are very important, that are down ballot, and everybody should pay attention to those positions. Well, candidate Andy Thorburn for Area 3 of the Orange County School Board of Education, thank you for being on Ask a Leader today. Thank you for having me. So that was my wrap. Next week, we'll have the Orange County Registrar of Voters. Neil Kelly will be here. He's not going to be any meetings anywhere else, I'm hoping. And uh, he's going to have a full plate given all the changes occurring here in the March 3rd, folks. March 3rd, California primary. Then in the second segment, Costa Mesa 
Mayor Katrina Foley will talk about her campaign for State Senate District 37. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening.